We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. You can meet me there in your Bibles or on your phone, 1 Corinthians 12. If you need a Bible, there is a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1151 in that Bible. We are in a series. We are coming to the end of it in the next few weeks called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. We've been taking some time uh, to see what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't often get a lot of attention. The Father and the Son in the Trinity can get lots of attention. The Bible certainly gets a lot of attention, but the Spirit is often misunderstood and is sometimes seen as kind of mysterious. And so we wanted to take some time to say, well, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Uh, because he is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we want to get to know him a little bit better. So we have spent some time uh, and will continue to spend some time just digging into what the Bible says about who he is. I want to show you a short clip here uh, just before we get into our text this morning. Uh, take a look up here on the screen. We're looking at, uh, it's from American Idol. You remember that show? Uh, short clip from there. Fantastically terrible, Julie. Okay, thank you. It just wasn't good. Sorry. Thank you. I'm a good singer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. I showed that this morning as we were getting ready. The worship team said, Why did you show us that right before we have to go sing? And I said, I wanted to make you guys look better. That's why. Just the juxtaposition was powerful. Uh, American Idol, and you're probably familiar with the show. I never really watched it much myself, but uh, people would come and they would share their talent, and superstars were born out of that show, right? There were great, uh, you know, platinum, multi-platinum artists that came out of that show, and then there were a few like that where people maybe uh, weren't as good as they thought, or maybe uh, were going on just to kind of get on TV and be kind of silly, and I think that's what that girl was a little bit. Uh, but you either got a gift or you don't, right? Like, you can't just become a world-class singer on your own. You either have a gift or you don't. I, at some point growing up, realized I was not ever going to be a professional hockey player. Right? At some point, you realize that. It was like a year ago for me. I finally decided... <laughs> You either have a gift or you don't. And what we're talking about today are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us uh, as the, the things that we do in service of other people where his power moves through us. A few weeks ago, we spent some time talking about different metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit as fire, the Holy Spirit as wind, the Holy Spirit as water. One that we didn't talk about is this idea of the Holy Spirit as oil. Uh, and the, the Pentecostal Charismatic Church talks a lot about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this picture of oil used occasionally in Scripture as it relates to the Spirit. Uh, Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. And when Jesus walked this earth, Jesus claimed that Scripture for himself. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. And when the anointing oil is used 
used in the Bible in the Old Testament, it is because a person is being marked and set apart for divine service. And so when David is getting ready to become the king of Israel, Samuel comes and anoints him with oil, literally pours oil over him, and it is a symbol of the divine favor and the divine power and the, the divine nature that was going to be with, G, be with David, the, the grace of God that was going to be with him to do this job, the Holy Spirit coming to empower him to be king. And so this anointing with oil happened. And so Jesus would tie into this picture. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. The Spirit has come and marked me, set me apart, filled me with divine power to go and preach the gospel, to preach the good news. Jesus was so dependent on the Holy Spirit in his life that he actually didn't do a thing, a, a single thing for God, a single thing in ministry until after his baptism happened because when he was baptized in water, Scripture says the Holy Spirit came upon him and only when the Spirit came upon him did he go and begin to heal and drive out demons and preach and do all the things that he was going to do. It was so crucial for the disciples to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go to Jerusalem, wait there, we're going to read this tomorrow, don't move until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't do a thing. You go and you wait. And I mean, at that point, they knew all the things to say. They knew what the gospel was. They knew what the power of God was all about. But Jesus says, don't you do a thing until the Holy Spirit comes and anoints you. When he comes, then go and be my witnesses. Then go and preach the gospel. Then go and see the miracles happen. They were so dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so there's this anointing that came upon Jesus. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He has set me apart. He has called me and stamped me and filled me with divine power to preach the good news by the power of the Spirit. Jesus claimed that scripture for himself. The good news for us is that 1 John 2.20 says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have one too. This is not just something that was for Jesus. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have been set apart. You have been marked. You have been gifted. There is a divine call on your life to do something in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is yours. It wasn't just for Jesus. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And the truth of the matter is, as we're talking about being spirit-filled and how are we spirit-filled and what does that look like, we will never find the fullness of our closeness and connection to God until we find what that gift, what that purpose is. The Holy Spirit comes to work through your life in a specific gift or maybe multiple gifts. The Holy Spirit comes to work through you in service of other people. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to give a gift, by definition, he is with us when we walk out these gifts. And so we are close to him when we walk these things out. I never feel as close to God as when I'm preaching or preparing a sermon. It's the best to be sitting in my office with a pile of books and to be researching and studying and praying and, and getting a sense of what the Spirit is saying and putting a sermon together. It's so exciting. I'm so close to Jesus in that moment. If you were to talk to the worship team, they would say the same thing, I'm sure, about when they are worshiping. They are so close to Jesus in that moment. If you were to talk to someone like Wilf and Al, uh, they are so close when they're serving. They feel so close to God when they are helping others behind the scenes. They don't want to be on the stage at all. They want to be behind the scenes helping. If you were to talk to George Bergen, when he's out fighting for the lost, fighting for the poor, fighting for a cause, he feels so close to God. These are places where we connect with him. We will be filled with the Spirit more 
as we walk in the gifts of the Spirit that he has given us because you have an anointing from the Holy One. There is a divine call, a divine gift, a divine purpose on your life that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. So this is one of the lists of gifts that are found uh, in the Bible, Holy Spirit gifts. And it's not the only one. We have a handout that we gave you today uh, of a few different lists of gifts in Scripture. Romans 12 has a bunch. Ephesians 4 has some. There's others that are just scattered throughout uh, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 has more if you keep reading. And so there's all these gifts that are listed. And this isn't even an exhaustive list. This is just as I was going through this week, uh, where are there clearly uh, gifts listed in Scripture. So these are things that God gives us uh, that he is desiring to work in our lives, where we walk in these gifts to be a blessing to others. We walk in these gifts out of service to him and out of service to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And part of the understanding of these gifts is we don't have them all. Nobody has them all. It'd be crazy if you had them all. But everybody has some. We are all gifted somehow. And so you'll, you'll potentially have kind of a main gift and then maybe a few other gifts as well. But we don't all have all the gifts, uh, and that is by design because we are not meant to do everything. We are meant to walk in our purpose and then let other people walk in their purpose, and we all walk together. And if we all find our spot and walk in our purpose, then everything gets covered that we need as the body of Christ. And so these gifts are there, and so we, we wrote up this up and gave it to you as a handout. There's kind of a one-line uh, sentence defining each of these gifts. It's not the best definition, maybe. It's a bit tricky to define a gift in one short uh, sentence, but uh, just give you a basic understanding of what are these things that we are talking about. And so it's also not an exhaustive list either, because there's nothing specifically in the Bible that talks about uh, kids' ministry or youth ministry or, or AV stuff, because those things didn't really exist back then. But there's some people who are really gifted to work with kids or really gifted to work with youth. And so this is not the be-all and end-all. These are just the spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture clearly. And, and, and the main point being uh, that we don't have them all. We are all wired differently. And however you are wired to serve and to bless, uh, that is your gifting. And so this is a good place for us to start in this list. So as we go through our text today, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. Right? You can't make yourself an amazing singer. That has to be a God-given gift. And you can develop it, but the gift comes from God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us these gifts. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them 
down to verse 11, all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So it is his call who gets what gift. We can't make it happen for ourselves. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to us. Um, that is his right and his job as Lord. And so this should, in theory, keep us humble in our gifts, right? It's hard to get a big head about things uh, if we know it's not actually me doing anything or you doing anything, but it is the Holy Spirit working through us that makes these gifts powerful. So it should keep us down to earth and from getting a big head. It should also, theoretically, keep us from elevating people because of their gifting. Right? We have a tendency to elevate worship leaders in the Western church. We elevate teachers in the Western church. We elevate leaders. Uh, and we can put them on a pedestal. This should hopefully help us not to do that. Because if we see a really gifted person, we can acknowledge the gift within them, but we should also acknowledge it's not really their gift. It's the Holy Spirit working through them. And they maybe have developed it, but the gift ultimately comes from God. And the Holy Spirit is not here to draw attention to himself, as we've been talking about. The Holy Spirit comes to draw attention to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not here to draw attention to me or you in our giftings. He's here to give all the glory to Jesus. So the Spirit comes to point to Jesus, and one of the ways he does that is through these gifts that as we teach and as we serve and as we help and as we give and as we pray and as we prophesy and as we worship, whatever the gift is that we bring to the table, that we are encouraging one another in the gift, and that through the gift, the Holy Spirit is actually doing something through us. Because I personally don't have any divine power by myself. I'm just a bald dude. I don't know what baldness has to do with it, but... That's who I am. I don't have any power to do any of that. The Holy Spirit is the divine power, and he has the ability to make God's word come alive. He has the ability to, to open up our understanding. He has the ability to change a heart, to change a mind, to heal a body, to save a soul. He does those things. He's looking for partners, people who are willing to say, hey, use me, I'm ready to go. But he is the one who does that, and that's important. We lost power this week uh, at my house for about seven hours on Wednesday afternoon. Who lost power? I think it was like just kind of the one side of Leamington lost power for a while. The other side was lit up. It was the worst tease ever. Because from my backyard, it's pitch black. But on the far side of Erie, it was just bright lights everywhere. And so we lost power for about seven hours. And, uh, and we had lost power a few weeks ago, too, for a good long time on a Sunday afternoon. And my wife and I were joking afterwards. We always say the exact same cliches every time the power goes out. Uh, for a while. So the power's out, and we say, wow, we really use power for a lot of things. Uh, we say it every time. Or we say, man, you know, it's really hard to entertain the kids when you don't have the power for seven hours. And we say, wow, what did they do? What did they do 200 years ago, right? We always just say the exact same stuff. We learn nothing. Uh, <laughs> next time, we will say it all again. But we don't lose power that much, right? We have friends who are missionaries in Tanzania, and they are always without power, like for days and days and days. It's rare for them to have power. And so we always say, yeah, we should not take this for granted, what we have. And then we totally do, and we learn nothing, and we go through the same cycle over again. But we lost power for about seven hours, and we were here at the church. It happened in the afternoon, and so I was here, and Xavier was here, and Susan was here. And, uh, and when the power goes out, it really does limit kind of what you can do, right? There's no light, so it's hard to read. You lose your computer. Uh, you don't have internet, obviously, and so I'm trying to do sermon prep, but uh, a lot of my stuff is online that I use for research, and so, you know, you're just kind of stuck, and so after about an hour, Susan came into our office and just said, 
Like, there's no window in my office. It's really dark in there right now, and I can't use my computer, so I'm just going to go home, and I'll come back later, and I'll do all this stuff. And, and so we really were limited by what we could do, right? When there was no power, there wasn't a lot we can accomplish. And for the church, if we are not walking in Holy Spirit power, there is not a lot that we can accomplish. We can coast for a while on our own strength and our own gifts, uh, I have a laptop computer, so when the power went off, it had been plugged in, so I could coast on that for a while, but eventually even that battery ran out, right? We can coast for a bit on our own strength and what we can accomplish, but only the Holy Spirit can do what we need him to do, what we want to see him do in saving the world for Jesus, and that's why Jesus said to his disciples, don't go anywhere until you have the Holy Spirit. You can't do this by your own strength. And knowing what we know about some of the disciples, you can picture Peter just being like, let's go, right? Peter was just so confident and arguably overconfident. Jesus says, don't move until the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, then you will have everything you need to see this world transformed for Jesus. But don't do it on your own. So if we are not walking in our gifts, if we are not allowing the Spirit to move through us, then we are missing something because he is the only one who can bring the change that we are praying for in this world. And we can do certain things without the Spirit. You can be a great teacher without God. Like you can be a, an atheist teacher and still have a gift to communicate and make things clear. You can be an encouraging person uh, without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's what I mean. We can do certain things on our own by our own strength. But what we are looking for is where the Spirit moves through us and we're not just doing it on our own, but He breathes His power into us where actual change can happen, where awesome things can happen. We have a ladies' uh, study here that's been meeting on Monday nights for the last couple of years, and there have just been incredible things happening in this group, not because any of the ladies are particularly special. I don't mean that as an insult. Uh, if Susan Friesen, who's one of the leaders, were here, she'd be nodding. No, we're not. We're not special. She'd be saying, it's all God doing these things. And, and I've been to studies where there isn't that sense of God being there. I've been to churches that just feel dead. It just feels like there's no life of God in this place at all. They're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. They believe even. Like, it's, it's not a matter that their faith is, is bad or anything. But there's just nothing behind it. It is just all just feels like human effort. Paul would write to Timothy and say, especially in the last days, this would happen, that those would, would come and they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny its power. They would have a, a form of looking godly, but there wouldn't be anything to it. There wouldn't be the, the Holy Spirit power to change and renew and restore and save and heal. That wouldn't be there. People who can say the right things and do the right things and go through the motions and, and maybe even sincerely believe what they're doing, but not connecting with the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to do the work that only he can do. This should be a, a fear of God verse for us a little bit. This should be a verse that makes us go, oh, wow, okay. So I can actually, as a Christian, just be going through the motions, having the form of looking like a Christ follower, but, but missing out on the Holy Ghost power behind it. Uh, that should be a, a something that makes us stop and, and take stock a little bit. And so we need his power to do these things. As we need his power to do these things, we need each other as well. All the gifts need each other. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 7, I love it. Takes away any idea that my gift is just for me, right? So that I can teach myself and feel good about myself and understand the Bible really well. And you guys can fend for yourselves and figure it out on your own. 
right? The gift comes to, to help other people. Whatever your gift is, it comes to bless the body. It comes to bless your brothers and sisters. It comes to bless the lost in your life. To each one, to everybody, everybody has a gift that the Holy Spirit is wanting to use in their life to be a blessing to the common good. To each one, this gift is given. There's a picture of an assembly line, and I know the idea of an assembly line isn't necessarily fun. Some of you work on an assembly line, and you've told me it's horrible. And so forget all that part, okay? Uh, forget the fact that it can be mindless, and it can be, can be frustrating and, and everything. Uh, and just see the picture of where I'm trying to go with this today, is that before the assembly line came around, what you had in these factories was just one guy building a car by himself, and you just had 100 cars going at once, and you just had one guy doing all the work on everything. And what Henry Ford and others kind of grabbed onto was that's not overly efficient because nobody's good at everything. And what might make this more efficient is if we had things move down the assembly line, and we had all these guys here, and instead of doing everything, let's just have them do one job and do it really, really well. Let's have them do one thing, and, and they'll do it over, and they'll get really, really good at it. And as we do that, then everyone's going to be more productive. Everyone's going to be good at their job, and this is all going to happen a lot faster. We don't have to be good at everything. One of the things I was so impressed about when I first encountered Meadowbrook Church, uh, you were looking for a teaching pastor, Right? You weren't looking for a lead, you were looking for a teaching pastor, and Greg was the lead pastor, and Greg uh, didn't love the teaching part. He was good at some of the other stuff, but he didn't love the teaching. And meanwhile, I was a lead pastor uh, for the last 10 years, and I loved the teaching part, but I didn't love the lead stuff, all the other stuff. And so I thought, oh, here's a church that gets it, because often in most churches, your lead pastor has to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the administrator, great with money, great with people, great at a hospital bed, great at a funeral, super personable, but really deep, and it's just so unfair. I lived under that for a decade of my life. You have to be everything. And then I found Meadowbrook, and they're like, we just want you to teach and care, and I went, I can do those things. It was brilliant. This church is so ahead of where other churches are on this area. And this idea that nobody is good at everything, but if we can use the best part of this picture, if everybody can find their spot, find where there's grace in their life, find where their gifting is, find where the Spirit is at work, if everybody finds their spot, then everything gets covered, right? And you don't have to be an amazing worship leader because you can follow Xavier and his gift. And you don't necessarily have to be the main servant because Wilf and Al can serve you. And you don't have to be the great teacher because Ruby's going to do that in her group. And, and all the gifts work together. We don't have to be good at all of it. We have to find our spot. Where are we called to this? And when the gifts start working together, it is this awesome, beautiful, powerful thing that blesses the church, but not just the church. It blesses the world that we are trying to see one to Jesus. And so we're reading through the book of Acts, right? We've been reading through it. We've read through it twice now. And in the book of Acts, we see how the gifts can work together, right? A, a prophetic gift combines with a healing gift, combines with a miraculous power gift, combines with a teaching gift, combines with an evangelism gift, and thousands get saved, right? These things all work together to point to, point to and bring people to Jesus, in my life, I've seen this over and over. I told you uh, how I got saved, and, and a big part of that was there was a woman in our church. I was a, an unsaved, cynical teenager, and this elderly woman who loved Jesus just, just loved me. She, just, she had an encouragement gift. She had a mercy gift. A mercy gift is just the ability to demonstrate uh, the compassion, the love of God. And so she had this gift, and as she began to love on me, that cynical heart started to melt. Over time, not right away, but the Holy Spirit began to work through her 
in that gift. And I had friends who were praying for me. I had parents who were teaching me. So a mercy gift and an encouragement gift and a prayer gift and a teaching gift all began to work together to impact my life until I saw Jesus for who he is. And I said, yes, Lord, I will follow. The gifts all work together to that end. One time on a Sunday morning, I had just gotten saved, and this was the, the church that I was attending. It was a bigger church, and uh, I was up here at the front, and I've, just, I've always loved worship so much. It's just the highlight of the morning for me when we come together on a Sunday. I love spending time in worship. So the worship service was going on, and this was a Pentecostal church, and the pastor said, all right, uh, we're going to continue in worship, but if you want prayer for anything, come on forward. Uh, just come up to the altar, and we'll have some of our prayer team pray with you just if you need prayer for anything. And so people were coming forward, and I wasn't on the prayer team. And you weren't really supposed to pray at the altar unless you were on the prayer team because the church was big, and they just wanted to kind of keep an eye on who was praying for who. And so uh, I wasn't really released to do that. But as I sat there uh, in the front row, uh, a young man named Kevin came to the front, and Kevin was just standing there waiting for prayer. And I just felt deep down this thought. I just knew that I was supposed to go and pray for Kevin. Uh, from that list, we would say that's a word of knowledge, knowledge that you wouldn't normally know on your own, that, that the Holy Spirit can bring to mind. I need to go and pray for Kevin. And I'm in a dilemma now because I'm not supposed to go pray at the front. That's, that was for appointed prayer people, and I wasn't one of those people, and I was still pretty new to the faith. And so I was struggling with this, going, what do I do? And then the worship leader was playing, and he was, uh, they were just kind of playing instrumentally, and he was on his guitar. And so I was about where Xavier is, and he kind of came down as far as his cord would stretch, and he said, Chris, he said, you need to go pray for Kevin right now. <laughs> so that's easy when it happens like that, right? That's amazing. And so, you know, God has put this in my heart. You need to go pray. God has put it in his heart. Chris needs to go pray. And I just got released by a pastor, so I can go do it now. And so I went over, and I just put a hand on Kevin's shoulder. And I'm, as I'm walking, uh, something just welled up in me that said, something is about to happen here. Just a, a confidence. What we would say is the gift of faith from that list we just read. And I put a hand on him, and I was just getting ready to figure out what to say. So I said, Jesus, and he just fell over on the ground. And a few of you have asked about that, why the Pentecostals are falling and rolling around and making barnyard animal sounds and all these things. And, and, and much of that is greatly exaggerated, for the record. But, but that does happen occasionally, uh, typically in a, an altar-type setting, uh, that someone might fall over. And just the, a very simple explanation of why is that sometimes... The, the presence of God is so real and so maybe intense, so thick, that it's just can be tough to stand under it. Uh, we see in the Bible sometimes that people just fall in, when they're in the glory cloud. Like they just fall on their face. They just can't get up. Uh, and so, so for some people, it's never really happened for me, but for some people that is the case. If you ever see that happen, uh, that person is in control the whole time. They can shut it off if they want to. They are seeking the Lord, but uh, they don't have to do any of that. Uh, but if you jammed your finger into a light socket, uh, your body might have a reaction, right? And sometimes when we empower the, when we encounter the power and the presence of God, our body might have a reaction, but it's not anything to be afraid of. You don't have to do it. Uh, we don't ever seek it or want to seek it. Um, but in this case, this, the, the power of God touched him, and so he just lay down. He had a big smile on his face, and he was just kind of resting in the presence of God. And years later, like multiple years later, uh, he came up to me in a service, and he said, I don't think I ever really told you what happened that day, but uh, I had had crippling back pain for two years, 
and it left the minute the word Jesus was spoken over me. It just left, and it has never come back. So there is a, a word of knowledge working with a prophetic word in the worship pastor, working with a, a faith gift and, and healing that the Holy Spirit wanted to bring. The gifts are meant to work together to be a blessing to other people. Um, as, we, as we learn what our spot is, we, we learn, here's what I do, and I'm going to pour myself into this gift. And you do what you do, and you do what you do, and you do what you do, and you do what you do. And as we do that, we will all benefit from each other's gifts. We will lean on each other's gifts and work with each other's gifts, and we will see these things. Your gift is crucial uh, to blessing your brothers and your sisters. Your gift is crucial to blessing and impacting the lost of this world. Your gift is crucial to that. You have an anointing from the Holy One that is needed at Meadowbrook Church and that is needed outside Meadowbrook Church. If we were to keep reading through 1 Corinthians 12, where we stopped reading, uh, Paul starts to tie into this picture of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. Uh, just like our body is made up of lots of different individual parts, and yet they are all connected. They are all crucially dependent on each other. And the eye is different from the hand, but it desperately needs the hand. And the ear is different than the foot, but it desperately needs the foot and vice versa. And all the parts are to be concerned for each other and care for each other. They all have a distinct purpose that is crucial to the rest of the body. And so you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have a gift. You just have one. Even if you didn't know that before this morning, I'm just telling you it's a fact. You have an anointing from the Holy One. There is a God-given gift in you. And when we choose not to use that, the picture Paul uses is it's like a body part where the hand just isn't working. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, like, well, I don't really want to do that because that's just, I just don't want to do it. It's just for me, and I just don't really feel like I need to do that. But the thing is, it doesn't just affect you. If my hand's not working, the whole body gets affected. And that's not what we want to be doing, right? Because every, bar, every part of the body feeds into another part. And when we choose to sit on our gift, when we choose not to use what God has given us, it's a little bit like going to a potluck empty-handed and saying, oh, everyone was supposed to bring something? I didn't know. Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't have it. But the food's here, so I'm just going to go and, and enjoy. Right? Because even if you're sitting on your gift, other people are serving you with theirs right now. Other people are using their anointings to bless you, and they're leading us in worship, and they're, they're running the sound for us, and they've cleaned the building for us, and they've managed the finances so that we have money to turn on the lights, and they're looking after your kids right now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, they are serving you. And if you're new to this, if you're new to Jesus, we say, great. You know what? If you're new to this, we want you to just sit for a while. We want you to just learn and grow and meet people and get connected. If you're new to the church, we usually say, you know what? For six months, we don't want your service, actually. We want you to just get used to us, uh, let us get to know you, and, and get to know how we do things and what we believe and all that kind of stuff. But beyond that... Like, as we move into maturity, you don't expect children to bring something, you know, elaborate to a potluck. But you expect grown-ups to, if they're invited. And so as we move into maturity, there is an understanding that I'm not just going to take and take and take from other people's gifts. I'm going to find a place to serve as well. I'm going to find a place to give back. I'm not going to be the freeloader at the buffet. I'm actually going to come and serve. I'm going to find a spot to use my gifts just as other people are using their gifts to bless me because these gifts are all crucially interdependent upon each other. We need your anointing. 
you need my anointing, and you need Xavier's anointing, and you need Sherry's anointing, and you need Natalie's anointing, but they need your anointing too. And as they bless you, you bless them back. This is how the body is meant to work, a functioning, healthy body. All the parts are working together to take care of the body as a whole. We need each other. Last point. While God is the one who decides on the gifts, we can actually still seek specific gifts. We are encouraged to do this by Scripture. We can't make God do anything. I can't make God make me an athlete. That girl couldn't make God give her an amazing voice. But while God is the one who decides, we can still seek specific gifts. We are encouraged by Scripture to do this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Like, go after them in your life. Desire them, which suggests that just because you don't have a gift in this moment doesn't necessarily mean that that gift might not come if you seek him. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 14, 5, he says, I would that you all spoke in tongues. I wish that you all had that gift, he said, which suggests that not everybody has it, but he says, oh, I wish that you all had it. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Then he says, I wish even more that you prophesy. But, uh, but I wanted to talk about tongues just for a moment because I get asked a lot of questions about this. And tongues seems to be a tricky one for a lot of people, understandably, because the teaching gift is pretty obvious and the worship gift is pretty obvious and the serving gift is pretty obvious and hospitality is pretty obvious. But, uh, but tongues is admittedly a tricky one. And so uh, as we've been reading through Acts, you've seen the gift of tongues there throughout, right? Over and over and over and over again, the Spirit comes and fills and often tongues comes as a response to that. So to speak in tongues, is where the Holy Spirit kind of rises up in a language that you don't know. Uh, you can control it. It's not like you just get taken over. It is something that you are in control of. But the Spirit rises up with a language that you don't know. And sometimes in the New Testament, it is a known language, uh, a human language. And sometimes uh, Paul talks about the tongues of angels, a heavenly language that might not be known uh, here on earth. And the gift of tongues can work two ways. One is as a prayer language. Paul says, I'll pray with my spirit, meaning he's talking about tongues there, uh, where we speak to God in that way. And it's an amazing thing. I, I speak in tongues uh, usually just in my prayer time, but, uh, but it is a, an amazing, powerful thing. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks through you in this way, uh, you don't know what you're praying, but you're allowing him to pray through you. And he who is God himself and who knows the mind of God and searches the mind of God, he always prays perfect prayers. And so when I don't know what to pray, praying in tongues is amazing because I know he's praying the perfect prayer through me. And I know this is a brand new idea for a lot of you, and some of you are looking me odd right now, but, uh, but it's in your Bible, so you can read into this yourself. I would that you all spoke in tongues. So prayer can come from, a, tongues can come from a place of prayer where you're talking to God. There's another way tongues can come, and that is uh, more what he's talking about in Corinthians in the list we just read, which is where a message comes to the church. The Holy Spirit speaks in a different language to the church, and then someone else interprets it. So that's why he says there's tongues, and then there's the interpretation of tongues. And so just to give you an example, when we were at our church in Sudbury, uh, we were in a worship time, and the worship leader uh, just kind of brought it down and just said, uh, you know, we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit. I think God has something to say to us today. So let's just pause. If any of you have an encouragement or a, a scripture or anything, uh, feel free to share it in this moment. Uh, and that's a very Pentecostal culture thing to do. It's, it's scary a little bit when you're the lead pastor. You don't know what's going to come next. Uh, but the, the door was opened by the worship leader that day. And so the worship team just played quietly, and we just waited for a moment. 
And then over here, someone spoke out just for 30 seconds maybe uh, in a language that they did not know. And if you've never seen it, it might seem a little bit weird. If you grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic thing, it's pretty normal. Uh, but they spoke out in a language that they didn't know. And now Paul says when that happens in public, there has to be an interpretation because that's just gibberish otherwise. That doesn't edify anybody. So if that's going to happen, there has to be an interpretation into English in our case. And so they had that moment, and then when they were done, someone over here had the interpretation. The Holy Spirit spoke to their heart about what was being said. And so they stood up, and they said, I just really believe the Holy Spirit is saying, uh, walk in step with me. Don't rush ahead. Don't blow the timing, because my timing is always perfect. And some of you are frustrated because you're running ahead too fast. You're not waiting for me, but wait for me. Walk in step with the Spirit, and that's where the blessing will come. So I didn't know any of that was going on that morning. And that finishes off, and I get up to preach, and I open my Bible. And my prepared message that day from Galatians 5 is, since we now have the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It was like a hair-on-your-arms, tingly kind of moment. That they didn't know what I was preaching on. I didn't know that that, that was going to go on. But that happened. And the Holy Spirit, it was just like he was highlighting that scripture, right? And big, big, bold highlighter saying, this is what I want you to hear today, church. So there's a gift of tongues combining with an interpretation of tongues, combining with a teaching gift, and it was a powerful morning that day. We really felt like we had heard from God, not just a, a nice sermon from the Word, but that the Holy Spirit had spoken to us in multiple ways, saying the same thing. That's what it can look like when the power comes. So Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, and I feel that way about you guys. I wish you did. It's an awesome gift. And if that scares you, then don't do it. Simple as that. If you don't want it, that doesn't affect your standing with God in any way, don't worry about it. But it's, it's a wonderful thing. I would encourage you to seek it because it's an incredible gift. 1 Corinthians 14.1, he writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Again, that word eagerly is in there. Eagerly seek these gifts. Eagerly seek after them. Desire them. Go after them. Pray into them. Try and find them. Go after them, which again suggests that if I don't have the gift of prophecy, that God might release the gift of prophecy to me if I eagerly go after it in my life. That I have gifts now that I'm aware of, but there might actually be more that I'm not walking in yet. And so we need to find these gifts in our lives. And a big question, of course, is how? How do we do that? It all sounds great, but how do we actually discover what our gifts are? Some of you might know what some of your gifts are. Some of you might not have any idea. Some of you, this all might be brand new. And so this is maybe not super profound, but these are just some things that I've learned over the years of helping people find their gifts. So what are some things that we can do to help us discover that? First of all, just learn. Learn some things about what the spiritual gifts are. We've given you a list today. It's not a super in-depth thing. It's just something to get you started. But take a look at that list of gifts and say, what, what grabs my attention? Very early on in my walk, I was drawn to teaching. Very, very early. There was something about that that I, I went to. And so I began to look at teaching. I began to study teaching. I began to read books by great teachers and, and started to take courses in some things because I wanted to know more about this gift. Now, some of you, that sounds like a nightmare. You want nothing to do with teaching, and that's maybe a sign that that's not your gift. But wherever your gift is, uh, whatever piques your interest or whatever you think might be your gift even, just start to explore it a little bit. Start to 
to see what is in there. Uh, start to, 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 to get a handle on what the Bible says about it. What do other people gifted in this area say about it? Just so you know, I am seeking after the gift of prophecy in my life. Because Paul just told me to. We just read it. And so I want to know how to hear God's voice better, how to share it with others. I want to know how to sense what the Spirit is saying to the church. Uh, I am seeking that in my life. And part of learning about that is reading books about it. I've been to conferences about it. I'm trying to grow in my understanding. Sarah is seeking after a healing gift in her life. She reads the book of Acts and says, why not today? Why not now? Why is it so rare to see these kinds of things happening today? It happens, but not like it did for them. So Sarah is reading on it and studying in it and praying into it and doing all all these things to learn more about this gift that God may or may not be releasing in her life, but she is seeking after it because the Bible says to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, and it starts with learning about it. It also starts with praying, obviously. God, you made me in my mother's womb. You know what you have for me. You know who I am. What do you what are you leading me to on this list? How do you want to work through my life on this list? And so we pray, right? We have not because we ask not, so let's start asking. We pray for revelation and understanding. We don't just ask God, we also can ask other people. Ask others that we trust. What do you see in me? Where do you see grace in my life? We take some time to, to see what people who we trust notice about us. And where do you see us on this list? And sometimes that might mean, like Simon Cowell and that girl at the beginning, someone saying, I'm not sure that that's your gift. But sometimes we need to hear that too. But we don't have to do this on our own. We were never meant to do this on our own. This has so leapt out at me as I've read through Acts these couple of times is just how everything they do is just the team. It's just as a group, we're discerning God's will. As a group, we're deciding what to do next. As a group, we are figuring this out. I'm not ever expected to do it all by myself. God has put us in a family for a reason. And so we lean on that family and we say, help, help me determine and discern what my gifts are. You can go online. There are spiritual gift tests that you can take uh, as a way of just kind of helping you get a handle on that. You can fill one of those out and see where it points you to, but we don't have to do this by ourselves. This one is actually, I think, the most important one. And again, not super profound, but just start trying stuff. How's that for deep and insightful? Just start trying stuff. Like, by the time you were done high school, you had a pretty good handle on some things that you were good at, right? I'm really good at math. I'm really good at science. I'm really good at shop. I'm really good at sports. I'm musical. I'm artsy. I'm good at English, whatever. But you had a handle on, on some of your strengths. And just as important, you had a handle on some weaknesses, right? I'm really bad at math. I'm really bad at languages. I'm really bad at whatever. And the reason you got a handle on those things was not because you heard a voice from heaven saying, go and be an amazing soccer player. It's because you tried it, and there was some talent there. And the reason you know that you were never going to be a, an astronaut or a scientist, that was my personal journey, was because I almost failed grade 11 physics and went, well, this probably isn't for me. It wasn't because God spoke it as much as just by trying it out, it just became clear. The best thing my first church did for me, they hired me part-time. I was first-year Bible college student. They said, come and work for us part-time, and we want to help train you and launch you into your ministry. And they said, your first year, you're just going to do everything. You're going to do a little bit of youth, a little bit of kids, a little bit of administration, a little bit of care, a little bit of teaching, just a little bit of everything for the year. And I thought they were crazy at the time. It sounded nuts. So a lot of these things I don't want to do at all. 
And they said, you're going to try everything. And what was brilliant about it is by the end of that year, it was so clear where there was grace in my life, and it was so clear where there was none. And so in the areas of teaching, there was like, oh, there's a spark here. I, I feel drawn to this. I feel excited here. I feel close to Jesus here. There's a gifting here. That was not my experience when I spent time in the kids' ministry. And I loved spending time with the kids, but just I was not good at the ministry itself. And so we learn these things just by trying. And, and sometimes I think we wait for some great big divine revelation of this is who you are. And, and more often it comes just by trying things and going, oh, wow, you know what? I really love serving behind the scenes. I love helps. I, I don't want to be in front doing anything. I just want to be helping in practical ways behind the scene. That's who I am. And we don't always get to learn that unless we try some stuff. And then as we start to narrow in on some things, the next big profound thing is just practice, 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 practice. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Right? God has given the gift. The, the spark is there, but it's up to you whether you develop that thing or not. It's up to you whether that spark is a fire or whether it remains a spark or whether it blows out entirely. You fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And we do that just by practice and practice and practice and practice. That's how our gifts get better. And so, again, not maybe the most profound thing in the world, but these are just simple, easy steps for how do we figure out what our gifts are. We learn about them. We pray about them. We ask others to help us. We try some things. And as we start to see where the gifts might be, we practice at them. Uh, we give some time to that as well. We're just about done here. Come on up, worship team, uh, just as we get ready to wrap up. We have an email address here at Meadowbrook, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions about the sermon, we are always happy to keep talking uh, about these things. I've thrown a ton of information at you in a pretty short amount of time. So uh, you can take your hand out home, take some more time to dig into that. Uh, but if you want to talk more, we are more than welcome, more than happy to talk more. Questions at meadowbrook.ca. There's a story that Jesus tells in the Gospels from Matthew 25. It's called the Parable of the Talents, uh, most commonly. And it's a good word, talent, because it ties really into what we're talking about today. But it's a unit of money in, in the times of Jesus. Most newer versions will say a bag of gold instead of a talent, uh, just to avoid the confusion. But we're going to say talents today because it serves our purpose well. And so it's a story of a master who goes away on a journey, and he takes some talents, some units of money, and he gives some to three different servants. And he's going away. He wants to see what they're going to do with them uh, while he's gone. And so he gives the first servant some talents, and he goes off, and he invests the money, and he puts it to work, and he produces a harvest with it. And the second servant takes the money, and he goes off, and he puts it to work, and he earns some interest, and he produces a harvest with it. And the third servant takes the talent and goes and buries it in the ground. Doesn't do anything with it. And so the master returns from the journey, and he calls his servants together, and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? Do you hear that question today? What did you do with what I gave you? And the first servant says, well, you gave me this much, and look what I've produced. I've invested it and put it into work. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second servant comes and says, you gave me this much, and I put it to work, and I've produced this harvest. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the third servant says, I took what you gave me. I was kind of scared to do anything with it, so I buried it in the ground. So it was safe, but I didn't do anything with it. So here's your initial investment back. And the master says, you wicked, faithless servant. Right? Like, I gave you something precious to do something with. Like, what did you do with what I gave you? And that's the question for all of us today. 
What are you doing with what he has given you? What are you doing with your time, with your service, with your gifts? What are you doing with that? Because we will stand before him one day, and we will get asked that question. This is a picture, Jesus, of giving of the final judgment, that we will stand before him, and we will be asked, what did you do with what you were given? And so we don't want to hide these things in the ground. We don't want to just take what we're given and just put it aside. We want to use it to bless others. We want to use it to reach the world. We want to use it to glorify him. And as we do that, we will feel so close to God. We will be filled with the Spirit in that place because these are spiritual gifts. The Spirit is with us when we use them. And as we look at what it is to be spirit-filled, we've just been praying this prayer. We will continue to invite you to pray this with us. Just a simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us up. Come and show us who we are. Come and help us find our gifts. Come and show us our purpose. Come show us what we are to do. Come and fill us up and let us use our talents to glorify you, to bless our brothers and sisters, and to impact the world as we walk with you and as you breathe through us with your power as we step out into these things. We're just about done. We're going to spend a few minutes in worship before we go. So would you stand, please, as we get ready to close today? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and open our eyes to where we go from here, where our next steps are, whether it's in developing our gifts that we know about or seeking new gifts or if we have no understanding of what our gifts are and we're just wanting to kind of start at the beginning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and and we just honor and acknowledge that that we do have an anointing from the Holy One. Your word says that, that there is something in us of the Spirit uh, that you have called us to use to serve others and to point the world to Jesus and to, to glorify your name. And so come, Spirit of God, uh, rise up in us, anointing of the Holy One. Rise up in us and show us who we are in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.